I just hope you're ready and prepared to receive this word together. I'm excited about sharing uh, this message with you. I hope that the Lord is going to speak to each of us today. I'll invite you to stand as we take this word together. Ephesians 1, I want to begin here actually with verse 15. Uh, I, I just decided I don't think I'm going to split up Paul's prayer here. This is one of the most astounding, beautiful prayers that I know of in all of Scripture. And I just want us to receive this as, as if Paul is, is, is praying for us, and he is, uh, even now through the ages. Beginning with verse 15, Ephesians chapter 1, hear God's word for us today. Paul writes, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly realms. Far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. May he fill us with himself this morning. You may be seated. Well, if you've been with us over these last few weeks, uh, we've been reminded that as followers of Jesus Christ, we've been given what is called the Great Commission. After his resurrection and before Jesus ascended into heaven, Jesus gave his followers one final instruction. He said to them in Matthew 28, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey all that I've commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the end of the age. If you want to know something about your ultimate purpose, I think you don't have to look very far. You can find it right here. This is the call of God on every one of our lives. It seems to me that one of the reasons that when we get saved and God just doesn't whisk us up to right, right to heaven in that moment is that God still has a purpose for us. We know part of that purpose. Saved people serve people and found people must find people. Jesus said that the harvest is plentiful. And when we see as Jesus saw and when we pray as Jesus prayed, then we're going to do as he did. That's what we've talked about the last couple of weeks. We have been reminded that in this commission, we are in partnership with him. We are also reminded that God doesn't need us for anything. He could achieve this mission without us. But the reality is he chooses to involve us. Christ gives us a commission. We're called to partner with him. Christ reveals the God of participation. And I was thinking last week, it's kind of like God is, 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 is like a mother who decided to bake a cake and involve her three-year-old to come alongside, even though it's going to be messy and maybe it's not going to be perfect. He wants to fulfill his will 
in our world using people like you and, and me. This is what Paul is getting at in this beautiful and astounding passage that I've just read. One of the amazing things that Paul points out in this prayer is the same power that was demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus is available to every person in this room. And I want you to think about that. When when we follow God and we decide to partner with him in this great mission, we tap into the greatest power that is available to those who trust him and call upon him. Two weeks ago, I was sitting with our men on the men's Bible study on Saturday morning, and we've been studying the life of David together. We were looking at David's life, and it occurred to me as we were studying that that there were significant low points in his life, and I fell in love with a particular phrase. I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. But to kind of set this up, I I want you to think this morning back to, to what you remember about the life of of David, King David in the Old Testament. As many of you will recall, he led a truly remarkable life. He was a shepherd. He was a musician. He was a poet. He was also a warrior. And he would one day become king. Now imagine one day as a teenager, he's out shepherding a flock of sheep on a hillside when he gets word that his dad wants him to to come home quickly. A prophet has come to the village, his name is Samuel, and he has come to the village, and and, and when David arrives, Samuel takes one look and says, this is the one. And I'm sure that David has no idea what's really going on, but Samuel tells him that, David, you have found favor with God, and he anoints him and he declares him to be the next king of Israel. Now, if you are reading along, of course, you're thinking, wow, this guy has just won the lottery. It's easy street from here on out. He is favored by God. He knows his purpose. He's going to be king. Great things are going to happen to to this young man in his life. And of course, as you read along for a while, they did. David goes back to tending sheep on the hillside, but through a series of events, he ends up in the royal palace because he is a skilled musician The king just loves to listen to his music. For hours and hours he plays and sings before King Saul. David is his favorite. And along the way, David has become best friends with one of the king's sons, the the, the son Jonathan. And he marries, in fact, the king's daughter, which was a good career move, I suppose, back back in those days. And, And as a warrior... David builds quite a reputation, and so the nation loves David. In fact, the people begin to sing songs about his greatness. And as you read the story, you see how it's all coming together. Of course, David is headed toward the throne. And for a while, everything he touched, it just seemed like it turned to gold. He was leading what we would call a charmed life. But then a funny thing happened on the way to the top. It all kind of fell apart. And one by one, all of these wonderful things that he achieved or was given began to be stripped away from him. You see, he became so successful that that King Saul, you remember, became jealous of him. He got jealous of the songs that the people were singing about the greatness of David. And 
In fact, the jealousy became so intense, the bitterness so intense that one day while David was singing and playing his music, King Saul picked up a spear and threw it at him, actually tried to murder David. And suddenly David is forced to run for his life. Now he loses his job. He loses his home, his income, his security. Some of you uh, know what that's like. Oh, and, and he loses his marriage, too. Some of you know about that as well. While Saul is trying to kill David, his wife tries to help David escape, but she ends up being taken back by Saul. And kings could do this in those days. Saul actually gives her to be married to somebody else. So now David has lost his marriage. He's lost his family. He's lost his position. David desperately tries to go to see Samuel, the prophet. And I'm sure what it's about, he's probably asking Samuel, what's going on? How did I get here? Why am I going through this? What happened? But Saul hears about it. He sends soldiers, and David is forced to flee again. Soon after this, Samuel dies. David will never see the prophet again. And David thinks he's alone. He can't help but wonder, has God forgotten his promises to me? Have I missed it? David tries to run to his best friend, Jonathan. Jonathan loves David, but there's no way that he's going to take up a sword against his own dad. David has to run away one more time. He will never see his best friend again. So that's how bad it's gotten for David. And then it gets worse. Israel is such a hot place for David. So many people are after him. His life is in danger everywhere. So he lost his home, his culture, his language, his friends. He's got nowhere to go. And so the Bible tells us that he runs to a refuge, a refuge a city outside of Israel called Gath. Now, just a word about Gath. I think this is important. I think this is instructive. Gath is the home of a guy that some of you might remember. He was the heavy hitter of the enemy of the people of Israel. The great big guy. David fought him with a slingshot. You remember that guy? Kind of a giant warrior. Probably took strength hormones or something along the way. I don't know. Anybody remember his name? Goliath. Good. Some of you went to Sunday school. I'm glad to know that. Gath is the city of Goliath, the Philistine city. And what's more, if you know this story, David is so desperate, that's where he runs for refuge to his enemies to defect, to try to, to get them to have pity on him, to take him in. This is how low it gets. He pretends to be insane. He literally pretends to foam at the mouth. He scribbles on the gates illegibly. This man supposedly destined to be the next king of Israel, the one who had lived such a charmed life, is pretending to be insane, trying to keep safe with the enemies of Israel. But nope, they kick him out and he ends up living in a cave. That's 
David. He was anointed as the next king of Israel, and he seemed to be on the fast track. He had a future. He was the golden boy. And now all of a sudden, it's gone. He's got no money. He's got no home. He's got no friends. He's got no job, no mentor. He's running for his life, and he's living in the darkness of a cave. Some of you know about that darkness, don't you? The cave is where you end up when all the props, all the things you thought were going to work, all the things that held you up, all the scaffolding and all the gifts and all the awards and all the stuff suddenly just gets taken away. The cave is where you end up when you thought you were going to have a great life. And do great things and have a great family and and all you hoped in just kind of crumbles. It turns to dust. It's clear that things aren't working out like you thought they would. Like you dreamed they would. The cave is where dreams go to die. Some of you know all about that cave. Maybe it's your career, it's your family, your marriage. Maybe you made a terrible decision. Anybody in this room ever made a really bad decision? How did I end up here? How did I end up here? I don't even know who I am. How did I end up here in this darkness? You're in a cave. It might be a cave of remorse. Because of something you did or something that's happened to you. You've lost your health. Someone someone rejected you. Or maybe someone you've lost. It's a physical condition related to. Maybe you were betrayed by someone. A cave is the place, that dark place of disappointment. It's the place of fear. It's, it's, It's the place of failure. It's a funny thing. Nobody plans up ending up in a cave that's not the dream we are pretty good at trying to avoid caves but most of us log some time there we live in a broken world and here's the thing the hardest part about being in a cave is you begin to wonder has god forgotten has he kind of lost track of me You begin to wonder, did he forget his promise? Does he remember where I am? Am I going to spend all of my days in this darkness? Let me tell you something. David ends up spending 10 years in the wilderness. This guy who was supposed to be headed for the throne, 10 years. Now, to be fair, listen to this. He was not entirely alone. He did have some people come along with him and form a little community. But if you're honest, this is not a real promising group. Look at what 1 Samuel 2.22 says. All those who were in distress or in debt or discontented gathered around him. And he became their commander. Now, that's a group, right? Uh, distress, debt, discontent. Well, come on aboard. 
kind of sounds like our church, and if you think about it, you know? And maybe that's exactly the point. That's the thing. You think, man, this guy, it can't get any worse. You're already in the cave. But this is what amazes me about this passage. You think it's bad. You think it's dark. But look again. It can't get worse. And then it does. One day, David's men are off to battle. They come back, and their families have been captured. Everything they had, all their livestock, all their families are gone. They've lost everything. The text says, so David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. Let me ask you, have you ever cried like that? Have you ever gotten to a point where you just can't cry anymore because it's all gone? Life has has taken you to such a bottom. And and imagine these guys. These are outlaws. They're fugitives. They've never done well. They're trying to put their lives back together. And just as they are trying to inch back to, to getting some semblance of normalcy, it comes crashing down all over again. And they are so overwhelmed by their sadness, so crushed by it all, they cried until they literally could not cry anymore. It wasn't in them. And here's what you need to know. For David, it gets even worse. Look at what Samuel tells us. David was greatly distressed because his own men were talking about stoning him. So those who were in distress and in debt and discontent, they thought it would be best to get rid of David. And so his life is in danger all over again. But then comes, and I think probably one of the most amazing little phrases in all of Scripture. It's just one of those phrases that caught my eye on that Saturday, and I've kind of meditated on it ever since. We don't know all that's behind this, but it simply says this. But David found strength in the Lord his God. In spite of everything that was going on, David hits that point, and David found strength in the Lord his God. That's it. I want you to think about that. David found strength. Where? Not in his talents, not in his own determination, not in his own resiliency, not in his own brilliance. David found strength in the Lord his God. That's just one phrase, and yet it is a wonderful mystery that a human being who who comes and encounters God, everything can change in a moment. I want you to notice something. If you read that passage, his circumstances were not suddenly different. In fact, he found strength, but, but people were still wanting to kill him. His family had still been lost. He was still living in a cave. Everything outside of him looks just as it always had. But David in that moment passes from death to life. It, it's, not, it, it's really not even about David at all. It looked like David had fallen to the bottom, but it turns out that David had just fallen into the very arms of his saving God. David found strength. In the Lord is God. This is a turning point for David. 
you know, he, he goes on, he's able to rescue his family. Eventually, eventually, he would return to Israel. One day, he would become king. The people would, in fact, look back on his day as king, and they would so long for what he represented that they would say, that Messiah to come, who is going to come and redeem us, is going to look like that. He is going to be a son of David. If only there could be a king like that, they said. And if you know David's story, you know from here on out he would know great highs. And David would know some great lows. He would achieve some great things. And he would make some great mistakes. But this is what set David apart. In the midst of the darkness of a cave, he chose to find strength in the Lord his God. This morning, I want to remind you that God understands all about caves. It turns out that caves are why Jesus came. He, it turns out that when Jesus came for a little while, everything went well for the son of David. For a little while, a lot of the stuff that Jesus touched turned to gold. You remember his story? People loved his teaching. They loved the experience of watching him heal others, those who were in distress, those who were in debt, those who were discontented and discouraged, those who were sick and lame, lepers and the shunned, all came to him. They would come to him and he would heal them. He would touch them. He would embrace them. And they so loved him that the word spread and the crowds grew and they were so big until one day, Jesus walks into Jerusalem, and you remember what they cried, Hosanna, the son of David. And they wanted him to be their king. But he refused to be the kind of king they wanted. And because he refused to be that kind of king, the table turned. He lost everything, his position, his security. He lost his friends at that moment when he needed them the most, they ran away. The son of David also had people who wanted to kill him, but this time they did it. They arrested him, and they mocked him, and they put him on a fake trial, and they beat his body, and they put a crown of thorns on his head, and then they nailed him to a cross. Now, I think it could be argued it was the most unfair death that anybody has ever had to, to face. And yet that death proved that Jesus chose to take on the sin of the world, my sin and your sin. And Jesus died. And everybody thought, well, that's it. That's the end. We don't have to worry about this anymore. And then they took him down off that cross and they put his body away where they thought they would never hear of it again. And where did they put his body? In a cave. In a tomb carved out of the hill. Because they forgot that God does some of his best work in caves. And three days later, he was alive. This is what I want you to see this morning. Something happened to his followers after they discovered the cave was empty. Now, that didn't mean, in fact, all their problems were suddenly gone. In fact, 
when they began to really follow Jesus, in many ways, all of their problems were just beginning. And eventually, they too, the followers of Jesus, would give their own lives sacrificially. But they would travel the world, they would tell the story, they would invite others to join them, they would face hardship and persecution and belittling by the authorities. But what was remarkable to me is they did it with joy and energy and strength because they discovered what David discovered, that no matter what is happening, we can always choose to be strong in the Lord. And they changed the world. The power that raised Christ from the dead and emptied that tomb, the power that David experienced in that cave was theirs and, by the way, is ours too. Because God does his best work in caves. And when we make the choice to be strong in the Lord our God, even when we're sitting in the darkness, the darkness doesn't have to win. I hope this week you were following the story of the Fanes, uh, our, our missionaries to Thailand. I was so excited as we were given the opportunity to pray for them. They were forced out because of a visa issue to go to Malaysia for a few days to re, uh, re-up their visa. They ran into a, a government bureaucracy and misunderstandings, and in that part of the world, these things can go out and, and cause all kinds of havoc. And it made them very nervous because when they applied for the visa, it was rejected. And they thought, what are we going to do? How are we going to get back to Thailand? God has called us here. Will you pray? And of course, many of us did pray. I found it interesting. After we were praying and after they went through some miraculous series of events, because in that part of the world, things don't often go very, very quickly. But in three days, they had their visas. And they went back and they were able to go back to Thailand. I just praise the Lord for that. Because God does his best work. God is a third-day kind of God. God is a God who works in caves. My point to you this morning is, listen, you can complain all you want about the cave you're in. You can tell others how bad it is, how dark it is. But over the years as a pastor, I've noticed something. I've noticed people who make a choice, and when they choose to put this, find their strength in the Lord their God, the reality is it's often in the cave that they will testify to the fact that I have never experienced God's presence more than in that moment, than in that time of darkness and need. In the cave, God does some of his best work because the cave is where God resurrects dead stuff. People who are in the cave often find strength they didn't know was there. God becomes real to them, alive to them. Sometimes it's in the cave where the the people will, will kneel down and say, God, I don't want to do life in my own strength anymore. I want another kind of life. I want a life that only you can give me and only can be empowered by you. I need the power that resurrected Jesus. I need the power that motivated Peter and Paul. I need it in my life to overcome sin, to keep hoping in the darkness, to be used totally for your glory. Lord, give me the help of your Holy Spirit today. That was Paul's prayer for the Ephesians. That was Paul's prayer for us. That's my prayer for me. That's my prayer for you. God, you know about my cave, my brokenness, my dead stuff. You know all about my sin. You know about my junk and resentment. You know about my sorrow. Today, 
I choose to find strength in the Lord, my God. Is there anyone here who's uh, discouraged and distressed and debt and discontent? Who's in darkness of a cave? The invitation is this. You too can choose to find strength in the Lord your God. That's the message. Let's pray together. Father, I pray that this, this message will seal our hearts and, and truly become alive within us. Some in this room are struggling and they wonder if you've forgotten them. As they fall what looks like to be the bottom, I pray, Lord, that they would fall into your arms of grace. That, Lord, even in their difficulty, they could make a choice today to find strength in the Lord their God. Holy Spirit, will you speak to the discouraged and the distressed? Will you speak words of life to those who are in debt and discontent? that we might know your power, that our eyes would be open to the reality of your grace, that we might know you better. Because, Lord, we're all destined to be a part of a royal family if we've chosen to give our lives to you. Lord, I pray that we would know that power today and we would trust you, even in the midst of the cave. I ask this in your name. Amen.